Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam, asher bachar banu mikol ha'amim, venatan lanu et torato, baruch atah Adonai noten ha-Torah. Baruch haba b'shem Adonai. HaKadosh Baruch Hu, may you bring us into the final redemption speedily and soon in our days. Amen. Well, welcome to Devarim GT. Uh, this is the Geula Talk, the GT series on the Parshot, beginning with Devarim. So this week we are approaching Tisha B'Av, which is going to occur on a Shabbat this year, which is a beautiful, what I hope to be and what I pray is a sign of things to come as far as the fast days and the days of mourning being turned over into rejoicing. On the level of Yermiyahu, as it is written about his prophecy that, you know, first of all, back up a little bit, in order for a prophet to prophesy, they have to prophesy from a state of joy. Selah. Because what do we know Yermiyahu as the weeping prophet? So why is he weeping? Is it a weeping of sadness, gloom and depression or is it the tears of joy that we talk about, as we say in the Birkat Amazon, that those who so tearfully will reap in joy and gladness, they will be a bearer of their sheaves as they return. So we read about that in Tehillim 126, which we sing on Shabbat and Yom Tov on joyous occasions. And if you think about why is Yahu able to prophesy about what happens before destruction of the temple, what happens during the destruction of the temple, and what happens after the destruction of the temple? He is prophesying in the present about something that is in the future, all while remembering what has occurred in the past and what is happening in the present. I put it in that frame of reference, as crazy as that is, because it's important for us to understand another thing about prophecy. Prophecy is, was, and is to come. That is why we cannot ever afford to put the Word of God, the Torah, the Law of Moses, in a time context. The things that we need to focus about being in a time context are the days of the week, the Shabbat, because the Shabbat is not a normal day. It's not to be mixed with the days of the week, which is why there is a Arab Shabbat service and a Havdalah service. So that's another Josh for another time. Check out Lapid Judaism on YouTube and you can learn about the Shabbat. You can learn about Arab Shabbat. You can learn about Havdalah and all sorts of beautiful uh, teachings. So check that out on YouTube. Uh, but to continue on, the other thing, there's timed mitzvot, like when you light the candles, ladies. And if, if you're a guy and you don't have a wife or if you are home alone by yourself on an Arab Shabbat, you are in charge of lighting candles. Uh, the other thing is when do you wrap tefillin? You wrap tefillin when it is daylight. And when do you don your talit gadol? You put that on when it's daylight. Okay, so the mitzvot, which are included in the Torah and the oral Torah, because you only know about tefillin and the talit gadol 
in the oral Torah because the oral Torah is intrinsically connected to the written Torah. So when you try to follow the law of God without the oral law that comes from the sages handed down from Moshe, which where did Moshe get it from? Oh, he got it from Hashem, like God. So what are we really saying about the oral Torah? The oral Torah is intrinsically connected to the word of God. Therefore, if you want to uphold the word of God, you have to have something of the oral Torah to help you. But I digress. So just because there are certain mitzvot that are timed doesn't make the whole word of God subservient to time. Mashiach Yeshua modeled this for us because he was not ever pressed for time. He said that it's not my time yet when his mom asked him to turn water into wine for the wedding at Cana. And then when it was time for people to stone him, they were not able to because it was not his time yet to be crucified. This is why he walked through crowds when they wanted to push him off of a cliff. Because halakhically, when you stone someone, you take them to a high cliff and you push them off and then the fall should kill them. And then you drop the stones on top of them to give them a proper burial. So death by stoning actually looks like that. It's not rock throwing like we used to do as children. Maybe you didn't do it, but I did it as a child. I don't know how we thought that was a cool game to do. And why did we not think windows would get broken when they did? And we would run away and be like, I don't know what happened. And it's like, man, that's stone cold. I can't believe you would even do that. And it's just like, well, it was a hard life or a hard knock life. Yeah. Anyway, it was a pain and it was just, you know, tried to frame everybody. Just kidding. I tried way too hard on those. All right. So anyway, so the Torah is not subservient to time. Mashiach's not subservient to time. So. What are we really saying if we want to say that prophecy, which is given to the prophets from Hashem, that they're, well, that was in the past and we don't have to worry about that now. Well, no, we have to, because Yahu, when he's prophesying to Israel, they were on a destructive path. They were falling away from Torah. He was saying, repent, repent, repent. And they were saying, don't relent, relent, relent. Like, we're not. We're not going to repent. We're just going to do our own thing, and Hashem can just kind of chill out. Like, let us have our moment. And he's like, okay, you can have your moment, but you will have your moment outside of Israel, and you'll be dispersed among the nations, and then you'll wonder, why have I forsaken you? So, this is a very important picture of Mashiach's body being on the stake, and during darkness covering the earth, for the, from the sixth hour to the ninth hour and there's earthquakes going on and there's tombs being opened up because the ground is shaking so much and the dead are being raised. I love how Matityahu, the writings of Matthew, that he uh, he put, points that out, but he doesn't really give a frame of reference because at the end of it, he's talking about that some of the saints from times past were resurrected and were walking around the streets of Yerushalayim and uh, they were getting ready to go with Mashiach being resurrected and everything. And so it's just kind of like, wait, so 
You said the graves are opening while the earthquakes and the darkness was going on while Mashiach was being crucified, but yet, you know, later when he's resurrected, you're talking about they're walking around the streets and all that. And it's just kind of like, well, uh, there's there's a lot there to talk about. But again, that's not a part of this, Josh. But I want to point it out, the fact that Mashiach's body on the stake and the why have you forsaken me is the picture of the exile. Mashiach led us into exile. And this is why he also said at the end of the writings of Matthew, go out into all the nations because you're going to be scattered there anyway, whether you like it or not. First, I'm going to make sure you're all assembled like a bunch of Avengers. And I'm going to pour out the Ruach HaKodesh on you with tongues of fire, which is the 70 languages, so that you can communicate to those nations that I'm sending you to. So once you're in those nations, I want you to teach them what I taught you. Notice he says what I taught you, not what Paul said, but what I taught you, which is a missing thing today in the world of believers in the Messiah that we're not teaching what Mashiach taught us. Furthermore, he says, teach them to uphold all of the commands like the Torah, immerse them, which is mikvah them, convert them, make those who are not loved, make those who I do not have in my covenant, make those who I do not give a name to, make them into people that I love, make them into people that I want in my covenant, make them into people who I give a new name. And by the way, when you convert, you get a name better than that of a son and daughter. So what's the deal? Do you want to be just a son and daughter of Hashem or do you want a name better than a son and daughter? I'm just asking. So we have to realize that and we need to make sure we're doing that because this prophecy with Yahu being about him weeping and, and talking about the destruction of the temple He's also talking about the rebuilding. So you're able to prophesy about something in the future, though you've lived through the past and you're in the present. That doesn't seem to be getting any better, but yet you see the future. And so you're able to be in a state of joy. So this is the gravity of this final and third week of our three weeks as we're heading into Tisha B'Av, because we will turn mourning into joy. And we're asking and praying and really searching out our own hearts and getting ourselves in the right frame of mind so that that can become a present reality. And may it be so. So the parasha of Devarim always happens the Shabbat before Tisha B'Av. And the Shabbat that occurs before Tisha B'Av is Shabbat Chazon, which is called the Shabbat of vision, which may we merit to see a vision of the final temple. And if I could be so bold, may we merit to see the actual manifestation of that final temple, even this Tisha B'Av. Amen. Can you hear that song? The redemption can happen at any time. So, I mean, what better time? Uh, there is a, a beautiful uh, drop on uh, the Pasikta de Rabati, Pasikta de Rabati, 
I'm going to pull this up here talking about the what is going to happen in the fifth month, which the fifth month is the month of Av. Okay, so it's a Pasikta, not Rabati, Slika. It's Pasikta de Rav Kahana, thirteen fifteen. To whom the word of Adonai came until the end of eleven years of Zedekiah, son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the exile of Jerusalem in the fifth month. This is from Yarmiyahu chapter one, verses two through three. Rabbi Avon said the lion, which is Ari, came up during the constellation of the lion and destroyed Ariel. The lion came up, refers to Nebuchadnezzar, the wicked, as it is written, a lion has come up from his thicket. Yermiyahu 4.7 In the constellation of the lion, until the exile of Jerusalem in the first or in the fifth month, Yermiyahu 1.3 And destroyed Ariel, woe Ariel, Ariel, the city wherein David encamped. Yeshiyahu 29.1. So why is it all broken down? Again, this is a piece of oral Torah. This is a, a midrash here. And again, how I said the oral Torah is intrinsic to the written Torah. If that were not so, why are they quoting so much written Torah? This is what's called sourcing it out. So why is the fifth month talking about a lion, talking about Nebuchadnezzar, talking about Ariel, which is the name of the outer altar in the temple courtyard. Yes, the name of the altar and the courtyard of the temple is called a lion of God, i.e. the lion of Judah. Okay, because, you know, Mashiach is called the lion of Judah, right? Yeah, so the place where all the sacrifices are offered up. Because there's another source, uh, Benny B brought this down during his talk of Pesach and the Lamb of the Blood on the doorpost, and all that is connected to the Akedah, which includes all Korbanot. Offering the Akedah is offering all Korbanot. It is offering the peace offering, the fellowship offering, the atonement offering, the whole burnt offering. The daily offering. Okay, and the daily offering has a whole drop too that the daily offerings are per day, like morning and afternoon, but it's also per year, just like the Yom Kippur goat and like the Pesach lamb. Any way you slice it, once you go down from the Akedah, you go to your next level, which is the Tamid. And then you go to your next level, which is the the Yom Tov offerings. And then you go down from those levels into the offerings that are brought as necessary. You know, like your peace offerings, your grain offerings, your libations and your uh, fellowship offerings and things like that. They are all found in the Akedah, which is Mashiach, who is called the Lion of Judah, just like the altar that offers up literally all the offerings which by the way when the akira happened it happened on the same place that the altar ariel is built literally when they were trying to figure out where to build the temple more so like where to put the altar of the temple they had to find the ashes of isaac 
And if you know anything about the ashes and the altar, the ashes have to be removed when they get too full and you can't put any more offerings on the altar. And so you have a daily changing of clothes a couple of times by the Kohen so that he can remove the ashes, put them beside the altar, take them off the altar to the outside of a camp to a pure place. We read that in the Corbinot service. However, at Yitzhak's ashes were never removed from the altar. But you say the altar is destroyed. Yes, it totally is. This is why we don't know where to go today. So we're going to have to go find the ashes of Yitzhak uh, at that point. But, you know, probably we won't have to do that either because the third temple is going to be built by Mashiach and our prayers. So it's all going to happen where it needs to happen. Needless to say, the ashes of Yitzhak are still there. So what kind of ashes are these that don't get removed and they can't be removed? These are called the ashes of the Akedah, which is likened to Yitzhak. It's actually called Yitzhak. But who got offered up on the altar? The supernatural realm that was sacrificed 2,000 years before creation even existed. So how are you going to sacrifice something that was already sacrificed even before sacrificing could be done in a physical creation? How do you sacrifice something outside of creation and then bring it into creation and make it get sacrificed again, so to speak, even though it's counted as if it's the first time for it to be sacrificed? Let me say that again. The ram is sacrificed already outside of creation. So when it's brought into creation to be sacrificed, it's not sacrificed again. It's sacrificed. Like as if this was the first time it was sacrificed, but it was already sacrificed. And it, again, outside of creation, what does it mean to be sacrificed? Outside of creation, what does it mean to be born or to be begotten like the only begotten son? What does that what does that mean? We have to think about these things because this helps with understanding there is not a trinity because how are you going to have a father and a son, but you don't have a mother. And it's like, well, when the mother had a son, there was no father because, you know, Miriam, you know, she conceived by the Ruach HaKodesh. But yet the son was already in existence outside of creation. He was already begotten by Hashem. And it's just like, what are we even talking about right now? I thought we were talking about devouring. Yes, because devouring means words. Words have to be brought with us as we return to Hashem, which is the point of Tishba'av, going into Tuba'av, which is the 15th of Av, going into Elul, which is the whole beginning of the 40 days of Teshuvah, the final ascent up the mountain to go receive the renewed tablets that made it down to earth on Yom Kippur. So Yom Kippur is literally when we got the Brit Hadashah the first time. So may it be so that we get it even before Yom Kippur the final time. But you know, we can wait. It's cool. Either because either way it's coming, whether we like it or not. So, you know, the renewal of the covenant has nothing to do with uh, you know, Matthew Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, Corinthians, like that's not the renewal of the covenant. The renewal of the covenant is the sapphire tablets being granted to us. Now, 
Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and all the writings of Shaul, the writings of Kepha, the writings of Yochanan, because he wrote other letters besides the Basora uh, writing account. You know, um, all of these things are recording the fact that the the final renewal has happened and it has begun because what we could not accept in the form of tablets of light, the Bezrat Hashem we could accept in the form and in the likeness of a man, since that's who we want to ultimately worship. Because this is why we asked for a king in the first place. We were like, Hashem, give us a king. And he was like, I was your king. And Samuel's like, Hashem, like, I thought, like, why, why do they reject me? And he's like, Sam, Shamuel, they don't reject, they don't reject you. They reject me. I, I was their king. And furthermore, as I was their king, I set you in place as king over them. So like you and I are Echad, you know, cause your name is Shema and you have El, Shema El, like Shemu El, you know, like Shema Yisrael, like that's in your name. So if they would follow you, they would listen to me. Like when we follow Mashiach, we listen to Hashem. Like you can't separate that out, you know, kind of thing. So that was a long way away from this Pasikta de Rab Kahana about Ariel and the fifth month. So needless to say, Ariel is the name of the altar of the temple, which got destroyed. And, you know, destroying the altar is destroying the temple. So that's why Mashiach says destroy this temple and I'll raise it up in three days because you destroy Ariel, you're destroying the temple. So anyway, uh, continuing on with this account here, it says this happened in order that the lion would come in the constellation of the lion and rebuild the lion. This, my friends, is the point of the Midrash Rabbah Eka about the birth of Mashiach is on Tisha B'Av. This is a long way from thinking that Messiah was born on Xmas under a tree. Like, that's ridiculous. He was crucified on a tree, but he wasn't, like, born there. And we don't bring gifts and stuff. Because, I mean, you think about it. If you celebrate the birth of Messiah and it's all centered around a tree that you want to bring gifts and put under there and you want to receive gifts and you want to have all these mistletoes and yule logs, you might as well just go camp at the crucifixion stake of Mashiach on the day that he was crucified. Have a little party, drink yourself some eggnog, sit down, light a fire, okay, Imagine how awkward that is, because that's the that's the level of disturbance that that picture presents. Anyway, didn't need to really go there, but I did. So it's too late. Uh, so I'm going to continue on here that the lion rebuilds the lion in the constellation of the lion. This is Tishbaav. So it says the lion would come refers to the ancient holy one. Oh, now it's saying that. When Mashiach comes, it's really the ancient holy one. Because, you know, when the altar comes, it's Mashiach. And when Mashiach comes, it's it's the holy one. So it's just like, wait, 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 wait a minute. Wait a minute. You know, like the altar is the holy one. The holy one, Mashiach. Like, okay, what is happening? 
We've now excelled beyond the Trinity because now we have the altar to think about as being called by the name of the Holy One. So Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and outer altar. But then let's not forget the Torah is called by the name of the Holy One. So now we're at five. And then Yisrael is called by the name of the Holy One. Now that's six. Yerushalayim is called by the name of the Holy One. Now we're at seven. So you can think about the seven spirits of God. Yeah, that's great. Okay, that, that works. You know, that's cool. Uh, anything else called by the name of the Holy One? Oh, yeah, the staff of Moshe's hand. It's called the Son of God. Has the divine name on it. Okay, so that's eight. There's probably, oh, yeah, and the rock that traveled with children of Israel in the wilderness. Um, we got the temple itself. So, man, we just went to nine. Let's see if we can go to ten. Uh, what else we got? Uh, now we got the clouds of glory. Yep, that's called by the name of the Holy One because the name of the Holy One surrounds Yisrael like a mikvah, which were mikvah in the clouds. Then, uh, oh my goodness, how could I forget the angel of Hashem, Memtet, called by the name of the Holy One. Zer Unpin, for my Kabbalistic logistics out there, called by the name of the Holy One. Uh, the Shekinah, which is the presence of God. And I know you're probably going to say, well, isn't that the Holy Spirit, the Shekinah glory? It's like, well, yeah. But it's the Shekinah. And then there's the Ruach HaKodesh. Derechad. So where are you going to put that? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, I could go on and on, but that's, that wasn't my point. I just want to make sure we all have a few things to bring up and mention. There's not a Trinity. We can be okay with that because Moshe never taught about it. Abraham never taught about it. Yitzhak never taught about it. Yeshua never taught about it. King David never taught about it. And Melech Shlomo, show is enough, didn't mention anything about it. Why is this man never walked the earth? I mean, come on. If he didn't say anything, then why are we even? Homeboy, is he's like so smart. Like, like wise. He's got the wisdom. I mean, can you compose Proverbs? And I mean, he has books and books of stuff that he wrote that outdo Psalms as far as the quantity. But anyway, final thing is from this Pasikta de Rav Kahana. It says, Amos 3.8 says, a lion has roared who will not fear. And then it goes on to say, Yermiyahu 31.12 in the constellation of the lion, and I will turn their mourning into joy and rebuild Ariel. Adonai is the builder of Jerusalem. He will gather the outcasts of Yisrael to Helene 147.2. So when we say Baruch Adonai, Bonnei Yerushalayim, that is talking about the Holy One, blessed be He, but Yeshua says that the Son of Man will come with his angels and gather us in. And that's cool, too, because remember, he goes by the name of the Holy One. He came in the name of the one who sent him. And he comes. Yeah, he 
if anyone came in another name, then people would be like, oh, yeah, we we like you. We we receive you. We accept you. And he's like, but if I come in and not in my own name, but I came in the name of my father, you don't receive me. So really, you don't receive my father. And that's not going to work out well when it comes to salvation and uh, getting delivered from sin, sickness and death and disease and everlasting perishing. Because, you know, under the first Adam, that's what you're you're looking at. So the deliverance from the curse of Adam only happens through the second Adam. So you have to be found in him. And uh, that first Adam or the second Adam here is letting us know that you have to enter into the name of Hashem, which includes at least all those things that I just numbered out. I think I got up to like 11, maybe 12. So uh, anyway. I wanted to point out that the momentum of Devarim is that there is no Zohar portion for Devarim. And I thought that was interesting that they they wanted to point that out. So Rav Berg here is uh, writing on this and he says the portion of Devarim is the first section of the book of Deuteronomy. According to Rav Yitzhak Luria, the Ari and the Zohar. This fifth volume was written by Moshe himself, which is interesting because there's all sorts of commentaries that say, really, this is Hashem speaking through the mouth of Moshe, which Rabbi, Rabbi Abraham Greenbaum says Devarim is the mouth of the Torah. So that's kind of crazy because this is the book of the Shekinah, basically. And Mashiach quoted from this book quite a bit. And Rabbi Griffin in the Aliyah Day, Aliyah 1 for Parashah Devarim, does a whole drop on that. So check that out. Uh, and by the way, while I'm talking about checking stuff out, check out the GT series intro, because as I get more into the GT cycle, you want to make sure that you have the GT intro down uh, so that you don't get too uh caught out in the wind so to speak because getting into kabbalistic and mystical uh insights of torah uh it can be very very uh not good if you're not like grounded so you have to ground yourself first so that you don't start worshiping trees as dr sakal put it because uh you get into lots of this mystical stuff and you start being all like uh I don't know, Ari, I guess, not to be confused with Ari, but uh, yeah, and you can kind of lose your way. Uh, there's a story about uh, these sages who went into the Pardes, the paradise, the, the upper levels of understanding. You know, you got your Peshat, you got your Remez, you got your Drash, you got your Sod, and then you got the Sod of the Sod, you know, and you get into all these higher levels and these are levels of studying of, of the Torah. And so when you talk about Zohar and mystical stuff, your own Sod, if not higher, which that's kind of cool because Mashiach taught in Sod. This is why he would say, if anyone is thirsty, let them come to me, you know, or I am the bread of heaven. Anyone who partakes of this bread will not die. You know, they'll have eternal life, kind of stuff like that. And it's like, wait, what? Eat my flesh, drink my blood. Oh, man, that's a big one. Uh, you know, so these are all so type things and obviously they're speed bumped over because if you don't know Torah, then you don't even get what he's talking about, which is why Yeshua never sent the Talmudim 
to people who are not Jews. He only sent them to the lost sheep of Israel before they get to Shavuot where Yeshua, like he's with them for 40 days and he says, okay, go, go wait until you're, you're imbued with power from on high. And then I want you to go out to Judea, Samaria, and then to the four corners of the earth. Like not until that point, because I need you to get all the Jews first. Cause you know, salvation goes to the Jews first, Romans 1 16. Uh, yeah. And then it's out to the rest of the world. So Anyway, if you uh, know Torah, if you're familiar with, you know, the oral Torah and things like that, you understand what Mashiach is talking about and you're not so quickly lost or things like that. But anyway, so Zohar over here uh, is saying that, you know, this this book was written by Moses. And it's like, OK, so if Moses wrote it, Hashem had to write it because Moses didn't write anything on his own. He's modeling for us who the final redeemer is going to be like, what he's going to look like. He's going to look like one who speaks with the voice of the Shekinah. He's going to look like one who doesn't have his own word. Okay, so our Mashiach, he is that. Brugashem. Yeshua is Ha Mashiach. Amen. The first of the four books. We're on the level of Zerunpin, which is the tree of life that exists beyond our familiar level of existence. During the course of the reading of Devarim, the light is brought down into the level of Malkut, which is our realm. So you got what's above the earth, like i.e. the heavens and the higher worlds. Those are the previous four books of Torah. And then you bring it down into this world, like Mashiach says, seek first the kingdom, the Malkut, because Malkut is kingdom, of Hashemayim. So take where heaven touches down into earth, seek that, and then you'll get all the other things. You'll get the tree of life. You'll get Zeranpin. All right? And this is Devarim. So if you're just now joining us at Lapid, then you've joined us at a really beautiful time because we're in the season of Teshuva, which is every day, every season, but it's even more so now. And we have an opportunity to enter in to a beautiful cycle of what will hopefully be uh, transformed speedily and soon into the Olam Haba with the final redemption, which Olam Haba world to come. All right, so when the sages structured the portions of Torah, it says they calculated that Devarim would be read before Tishbaav. Hasatan is given total dominion over this day. Although there is no Zohar portion on this section of Devarim, by the way, the other day that Hasatan has total dominion over is Yom Kippur. So why is it that Yom Kippur and Tisha B'Av have the same kind of almost relevance? They're a 24-hour fast, uh, or 25 if you want to add the extra hour because of, uh, you know, nightfall. Got another hour there added to when you, uh, the ending of the fast. But, uh, you know, that's, uh, that's because if we spend our time in fasting, observing all these customs, then we're covered 
from the attacks and the persecutions of Hasatan. So you get to choose. Are you going to leave yourself out there in the open as helpless prey? Or are you going to be like, I have no idea what Tishba Av and what Yom Kippur is all about, but uh, I ain't going outside. Because, I mean, that's my that's my perspective on it. Like, I, I don't want to be outside. So and thank Hashem that I do know a little bit about Tishba Av and Yom Kippur and learning more and looking forward to learning more than that. But anyway, it says, although there is no Zohar portion on this section of Devarim, Rob Shimeon declared there is a Zohar reading that can be found elsewhere in the section of Balak. Because Balak was bent on the annihilation of the children of Israel, kind of like the Hasatan, and represented the highest level of Hasatan in this physical reality. So Hasatan even has a manifestation in the world, and it's one who wants to completely annihilate the children of Israel. So that's interesting. For those who don't want to be a part of Israel and want to make sure Israel does not be Israel, i.e. don't do that Torah stuff, don't follow the law of God, don't convert, be a Noahide, be a righteous Gentile, be a Messianic Gentile. Don't do any of that Jewish stuff. It's like, okay, great. We know which camp you're with. Well, even though the enemy doesn't have a camp, as Rabbi Griffin puts it. <laughs> uh, but anyway, it says, why is it in the portion of Balak where it seemingly, where, where why is there seemingly no reference in the Zohar about Devarim? Is it so concealed? So I'll say this last little statement here. It says, when we investigate the section of Balak in the Zohar, we notice an amazing story about a little child, no older than six years of age, who expounds on a part of Torah with students of Rav Shimeon, Rav Yitzhak, and Rav Yehuda that they have never heard before. They discuss concepts that have nothing to do with the portion of Devarim. So we're getting into some up top stuff some secrets of torah if you really think about the mystical stuff the mystical insights slika that uh deal with uh devarim so understanding our redeemer is like the best thing ever for us to do and uh i just wanted to point that out as far as the geula talk of devarim is that we should be focused on the mouth of the Holy One, blessed be He, i.e. today hearing His voice. Heading into Tisha B'Av, anticipating a beautiful and meaningful fast, it may be an easy one. I know there's a lot of headache and a lot of just kind of tiredom and, and things that are involved with fasting, especially for 24 hours coming out of Shabbat. But, you know, uh, it's important that we undergo it and that we do it with joy. And there's going to be all sorts of customs that uh, are going to be uh, observed, namely one of them not speaking to one another in a uh, in a greeting or in a uh, goodbye. So uh, don't be saying shalom to everyone and uh, hey, how you doing? Good morning. You know, there's none of that. So uh, Stav Soldat uh, Zal. He had a beautiful takeaway from Tisha B'Av last year, and he said, you know, 
this kind of reminds me of us being like out in the military, like out in the ranks where we're just kind of like, man, we're here. And, uh, you know, we're not, we're not speaking to one another. We're just showing up and getting to business. And it's just kind of like, yeah, that's what we're doing. And, and why are we showing up and doing this? Because we're building the temple, because we're bringing in the final redemption, because we're spreading hope and light to the world. And we have to keep in mind that we have to be people that can rebuke ourselves. We have to be people that can really have self-introspection with Hashem you know, and ask him to renew our hearts because when we get the new heart from Hashem, that's a perpetual thing. Like our heart has to continue to be renewed and we have to continue to stay connected to him. And then when that all happens, you know, he can personally redeem us and then the whole world can be redeemed. Because in order for the final redemption to happen globally, it has to first happen individually. So with this small group, with this small remnant of Lapid and of those who are attaching themselves to the Torah, those who are alive today, that if we are pressing into Hashem like that, and if we're experiencing redemption, it's only a matter of time before the global redemption, global redemption occurs. There's way more that I would love to have talked about, but you know, time is of the essence. So if I get to record another podcast uh, to bring some of this information out, I would do my best. But I want to leave you with this because before we can really get all turned up about resurrection and Tuba Av and Alul and all the amazing things that are ahead of us uh, following Tisha B'Av, that we have to first submit ourselves to death. Because one who does not die doesn't experience the resurrection. Now, I know Mashiach said some of you who are in this room won't die until, you know, like you can live and all that kind of stuff. But at the same time, still go to the Agaret, the letter to the Hebrews 927, where it says just as people are destined to die once. OK, so it's appointed for us to die once. So when we look at Hanok, which is Enoch, we look at Eliyahu, which is Pincus, and like Elijah, which is Pincus, you know, Phineas. And we look at how he was caught up in the whirlwind and in the chariots. That was a form of death. So death happens at some kind of separation of the spirit from the body. It doesn't have to be like a death, like, oh, no, such and such person died, Baruch Diana met, like we have to have a funeral and bury them. Death is a separation of the body with the spirit. And so uh, the changed in a twinkling of an eye verse from, I believe, Thessalonians, uh, that's kind of where that comes into play. And then I want to bring us over to the Agarit to Philippi, the Philippians, chapter two, verse eight. So again, the appointed for man to die once, Hebrews 9, 27, and now Philippians 2, 8. And being found in the appearance or and being found in human form or being found in the appearance of a man or in the fashion 
Okay, so because I want to point that out that Mashiach is in a appearance, in a form, in a fashion, in a likeness of man. That's important because Mashiach existed before creation and he came into creation so many different times, but specifically when he came in the form of Mashiach Yeshua, like the sapphire tablets in human form, you know, he still got broken at the foot of the mountain, which I just think is like, what? Like, how many times can we break the sapphire tablets? Apparently, only once. Because, you know, you can't put Mashiach back on the crucifixion stake and, and reclaim salvation. So now the breaking of the sapphire tablets happened during Mount Sinai and Parsha Yitro, but then the breaking of the sapphire tablets also happened in the Basora and the writings of the gospel accounts. And it's just kind of like, yeah, Mashiach's body was broken. The tablets were broken. The ram was sacrificed. And it's like that all happened before creation. So all those events are connected. And it's just kind of like, wow. So time is really of the essence as far as if we can look beyond that dimension, then we can begin to see a better picture of Hashem being manifest and how beautiful, how rich and how deep these insights are. Because you look at Midrashim uh, about the, the breaking of the tablets being likened to the death of the righteous. I mean, when Moshe recounts the golden calf incident, you know, in Devarim, it's all going to talk about that the breaking of the tablets is likened to one uh, to the death of Azotic. So, uh, what do we know? What do we know? But heading into Tisha B'Av and anticipating the final redemption, let us all submit ourselves to death like Mashiach did when he came in the form of man. Humbling himself to death, becoming obedient to death, even death on a stake. We undergo this fast, take on a form of mourning and death. And Bezrat Hashem, we are raised to life in Shalom because the original final ninth of Av of the wilderness was when that generation that was ready to go into the promised land, they went into those graves that they dug for themselves and they laid there all night and until the next day and they didn't die. And they came up out of the graves and it was just kind of like, this is the 40th year. Death is done. Now it's time to go take the land. But we got to go dig our grave and we got to go lay in it because what happened to the tablets and what happened to the temples, what happened to us as a nation over all of these tragic events that occurred throughout history, it's you and I, it's our fault, as well as the previous generations of Jews' fault. It's all of our fault because we're all echad. So let's all tikkun this together. Let's remove the element of the 10 spies Let's remove the element of doubt with Hashem and take on Amalek again. Take him out, this time with the clouds of glory surrounding you because you have the Lapid. Attach yourself to it. So let's take Mashiach Yeshua, take, grab a hold of his Zit Zit and let's go forth. 
And this has been Parashah Devarim GT. Baruch Haba B'Shem Adonai. Baruch Atah Adonai Eloheinu Menachah Asher Natan Lanu Torat Emet. Vechaye Olam Natah Betochenu. Baruch Atah Adonai Notain HaTorah.